Buenas, Den Hoffaday, Toru Hamzu. Welcome back to the Genuinely Speaking podcast. Thank you for making your way back and for your interest in what is being shared in this episode. Before I let you guys dive into this episode, I absolutely have to preface it with a couple of things. First and foremost, I hope that you will keep an open mind to this episode because it talks about things that currently are affecting us as individuals and as a community. And it has the absolute possibility of affecting future generations of Guahan. So I hope that you'll take it into context of how it can possibly affect you and any future children or grandchildren that you would like to have. And then second, I have to say that any time that you hear the word military, we are absolutely not talking about the soldiers in the military. We both have family members who are within the military and who do services for the military and in no way shape or form are we putting them down we are talking about the military entity itself so the hands that are controlling it essentially not the soldiers yeah i just had to get that out of the way anyway i hope that you'll listen the whole way through Thanks again so much for being here, and here we go. Buenas den hafadei toru hamzu. Welcome back to the Genuinely Speaking podcast. Today I have with me Maria Hernandez May, and today we're going to be talking about um, some issues that we, the community of Guam, are facing in regards to <clears throat> our natural resources, our water and the ever-presence of um, colonization and racism in, in our community. But to start, <laughs> let me welcome Maria Hernandez, me. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are. Okay, buenas and have a day. Zizus Masi, Clarissa, for inviting me to speak on your podcast. I hope today in our conversation, we'll be able to inspire more people in the community to come out and join movements to create change in the community. I'm currently a member of Hita La Texan, which is a group that consists of ancestral landowners of La Texan. We have been fighting for more than six generations for the return of our land at La Texan. And I'm also a member of the Manadahi Coalition. Mm. This is a coalition of ancestral caretakers and he's a La Texan is under that coalition. And also with Ihagen Femelo and Guahan, mm. which is, I'm, I'm in this group with Clarissa, and this group strives to care for the well-being of women, girls, and gender diverse peoples in Guahan. Mm. So, yeah, Situs Masi, I'm excited for this discussion. Hey, thank you. And the reason why I brought Maria here today um, is because she is a family of Litetzeng that is currently still fighting to get their land back to protect it and to have the military stop 
building the firing range on top of it and affecting not only their land but our aquifer on island and the reason why I wanted to have this conversation today is because it's it's so ever-present in our reality right now where our aquifer is being threatened uh, right in our faces and it doesn't seem that a lot of the community is caring taking notice of it or wanting to do anything about it and for both of us and for for many in the community of activists it is important because we are such a small island our capacity for for these things to happen allows for the effects to hit all of us if there's smoke and gun firing going off and there's clouds of that pollution in the air our whole island will be affected because if my memory serves me correct, when I looked up the area circumference of Guam, it's about 250 square miles. I c- I'm probably off, but it's it's not very far. So like if there's a air pollution coming from the bombs that they're detonating, the open burn ranges, then we all get hit. And then the fuel lines that are going from Naval Station to Anderson, if there's major leaks, we all get affected by it. Yeah. <laughs> there's so much to go here. There's I'm so going gonna, gonna to let you... There uh, are always layers upon layers you can never... And I think that's what we've, we've been talking about. Like, there are only so many activist groups, you know, and there's so many issues. Yeah. So I think my family's struggle is what kind of brought me to learn more about the impacts of militarization mm-hmm. in Guam. Because like many that grew up here, we're not taught about this kind of stuff in schools. Like we're not taught really about our colonial status much and the impacts of that. So it's amazing actually to see the Commission on Decolonization doing these youth events Mm -hmm. to really raise awareness about the limitations of our colonial status. But I didn't really know a lot about what we experience in Guam as a colony, the ways that we don't have a seat at the table with our leaders Mm -hmm. to protect our resources. It was really, I think it was like junior year in college that I, in a political science course, I learned about the insular cases and that we were called alien races. And even then I was like, that's strange. But I didn't really understand the realities of that racism, that racist language. Thank you for that, because I was struggling to kind of um, get to the reason why I think that our communities, myself included, like take so long to recognize that these issues that we're facing where the military is uh, taking land away from original landowners and building their, their firing ranges or contaminating it. The reason why we don't recognize those things is because we don't see it in our community our government is not holding the military accountable. Our our elders before us haven't really educated us about it, or maybe it, it just wasn't on the forefront of their mind, or they just didn't care. Maybe that's why a bunch of the community now is struck, uh, is not present, you know, in, in these situations, and why we activists are having to work in order to help others awaken to this fact. Oh yeah, like. Colonialism is deeply rooted within the community. I remember when the buildup was first announced, you know, obviously there is like that 
healthy skepticism by a lot in the community, but when you have special interest groups like the Guam Chamber of Commerce, all the chambers of commerce, there are more than one, coming out with their marketing campaigns, with their own surveys that they, you know, contract. Like for example, the Guam Chamber of Commerce, they did a survey of like 500 people that basically said 70% of the island supports the military buildup. And then that was being perpetuated throughout the island. I don't, I don't know if I should name any names, but the cards told me to be fearless. So <laughs> uh, specifically Lee Weber was writing in the paper saying that everybody supports the military buildup. And then all of the special interest groups were like trying to make that the general perception mm. within the community when that was a chamber contracted survey. Mm. And of course, when that's what the community is hearing and they're seeing it in the papers and they're hearing it on the radio, that's what many people were believing. Mm -hmm. This was going to bring so much money. And then look, we're more than a decade into this and our community is still suffering. You know, we're still, still have high rates of poverty. We're still, we're still hearing from these special interest groups in a recent public hearing that the build-up it's it's doing good for the community it's bringing in money but look around look around us yeah we have know? more more local homeless because of losing their spaces because the rent is going so high because they're catering to the military or um what i have learned is that some of these homes that are being rented you know the cost is so high because uh there's certain uh, stipulation or rules for the military where they can only um, rent within this specific uh, bracket, right? And so right. that bracket is what is allowing for locals to rent these spaces so high. Yeah, it's the housing allowance. It's a military housing allowance for active duty members is about 2400 So that's why when you look in the realty sites, mm -hmm. you'll see that that tends to be the rental costs for even the most simple apartment, you know, like a one bedroom or two bedroom apartment yeah. can be as high as 2,400. Yeah. In other places around the world, I have heard that what they tend to do is, let's say, let's say rent is like $1,500 for a family. So that military family will rent that space and whatever it, whatever remains of that 2400 so mm -hmm. that would be 1900 mm -hmm. would go to the military family yeah so they would get whatever the remainder is mm -hmm. on guam there's no incentive for them to rent lower than mm -hmm. the 2400 because they don't get any money back so some people over the years have recommended you know why don't our leaders just ask the military to give their service members that incentive to rent lower and then maybe landlords will lower their prices mm -hmm. yeah so it's it's tough grocery prices are insane i mean i don't know they're it's hard to live here it's hard to live yeah. in guam and, and we're not alone we we actually really mirror other areas around the world with military bases mm -hmm. high cost of living <laughs> high incidence of chronic illness because of the chemicals that are used on the bases. Over the last year, mm -hmm. I've been doing work related to water contamination through a fellowship with the Bertha Foundation. 
specifically within this fellowship, I have been looking at water issues. Mm -hmm. So, you know, work raising awareness about the aquifer, what's going on with the, um, the firing range complex, what's going on with PCB contamination Mm -hmm. in Malesu and Agania Springs, PFAS. PFAS is another chemical that we are seeing levels higher than the advisory levels, higher than the EPA levels that are allowed in our water. And so it's really a scary time. It's a critical time. You know, Clarissa is mentioning my family and the injustice that we experienced so as a young child at five years old, I already kind of had an idea of the effects of land taking by the military, but it's only in adulthood that I learned more about these environmental and cultural justice issues that we are facing as a community because of the military buildup mm-hmm. and the presence of bases here. Mm-hmm. Anderson Air Force Base, for example, sits above our aquifer as well Mm -hmm. and if you look in recent news just if you if you were to search something like military bases and PFAS PFAS they're called forever chemicals they're basically chemicals that are carcinogenic Mm -hmm. they're linked to cancer Mm -hmm. and there are about 700 different bases that are showing levels of PFAS Mm -hmm. um, within the community and that's an impact that's an impact that we're experiencing from militarization and you know it's a really scary time for our community knowing that 2024 is the proposed start date for the firing range complex Mm. 6.7 million bullets million lead bullets Uh are proposed to be shot above our aquifer and we shouldn't be putting any of our water at risk. I mean, our main water source that provides our island with close to 90% of our water, I mean, we shouldn't be risking that at all. I think one of the things, too, that um, many, many people don't realize in in the community is that the military, the U.S. government is an outside entity that came to Guam and the actions that they are taking are acts of racism against us as an indigenous people of Chamorro descent. And granted, there are different pockets of communities here that are that have made Guam their home. They are also being affected by this because of how tight and close-knit the whole island is. But essentially, the, the U.S. military is you know, taking things away from us. Uh, They have uprooted us from our indigenous roots and educated us to, to go with their Western ways. And like, one of the things that I, I always try to help other people remember is that, you know, when we Chamorro people were suffering due to the Japanese uh, being here, there was that Malesu 7 that went out and uh, they went several times to the naval boats that were out, out in the isle, uh, out in the water, right? And they were trying to get the U.S. military to come in and help us. 
and not only that um beforehand the the u.s military when they were here their men had wives and children some of them brought their wives from the states and some of them married into the chamorro families here the u.s military knew that the japanese were coming back to guam they took only their people basically abandoned us they let the japanese take over and then when the Malesu men were trying to get them to come back to help, they basically told them to go f off until they saw that it was time, that the strategy was great for them to come back in. And so while there are pockets of people who feel that the U.S. military is our savior and we owe so much to them, that is um, questionable at the least because of that little bit of history that I mentioned. And then, you know, just because they had, quote unquote, saved us from the Japanese, it doesn't mean that they have every right to take land from our ancestors, from current families without permission. It doesn't mean that it gives them the, the right to contaminate our islands and to, you know, take away our cultural ties because they teach us that this is the better way to go. Like, we've basically been brainwashed to think that we have to rely on these supermarkets we have to rely on these imports when our families generations ago survived off of the land and working in community with each other and then that's another thing that colonialism and uh, western mindset thinking has gotten us to where it's like we're so individualized where we stay in our little pockets we don't really uh, we don't really reach out and connect back into the community like the the families used to back in the day and so it's hard for I guess a lot of people and maybe some of the listeners to realize that these issues that we're talking about have a direct effect on the community and them you know so um, yeah no there's always that there's always there are always those themes that we hear of you know national security mm -hmm. the department of defense is here for our safety mm -hmm. i mean historically you know like clarissa mentioned that's the reality that when you know when it hit the fan world war ii happened that they evacuated their personnel only the white military wives and then left the chamar wives here and didn't let the island know that there was an impending invasion. I mean, that's that's something when I first learned about, I wanted to scream that from the rooftops. I was like, does everybody know this? I mean, I don't think a lot of people know that. And then you look in present day, there was an opportunity for the military to show us recently that in times of crisis that they're there for our people. You know, with what happened with like the COVID shutdowns, for example, this was an opportunity to like, for the military to show that they would take care of veterans, that they would take care of our manamku who needed to get their groceries and other supplies during the pandemic, but you know, when it first started, they closed the bases to just active duty members. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I look back on and I'm like, oh, you know, they could have shown us in that moment, you know, when when crisis hits mm -hmm. that 
we would all be equal, that everybody would be taken care of. But at that moment, it was just, it was hard to, it was hard to kind of stomach that treatment of our veterans. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that, that theme of like national security, and then you look at domestic security and the importance of protecting our resources because at the end of the day something that I've always kind of said is that the national security that they're trying to protect doesn't include the communities where the water is being contaminated where the land is being destroyed where land is stolen and held hostage and you know not not declared excess even though you know Clarissa and I just attended a protest yesterday for the Eagles Field families. And this was land that is still under, this is land still under military control. But once it started being used as a field, the land should have already been deemed excess and returned back to the original landowners. And then now we're here we are in present day where families are coming out and they're saying, no, we want our land back. It, the governor wants to use it as a hospital or for, for, for the new hospital. And then she says, if we don't use this for a new hospital, the military is going to use it for a missile defense system. And the families are all confused. They're like, why? Why does it have to be that way? You're our governor. You know, mm-hmm. you should be fighting for it to be returned yeah that's another thing too like our government you know not holding the military accountable for their actions and on top of that they take the cheap route to take quote-unquote care of our community and the issues that we have or they don't take care of it at all like kind of going back to the water stuff there's contamination of of our water and history you mentioned earlier before we started recording in 2018 you know there's that the government didn't hold the military accountable then and then even with our our current water systems and you know gwa is not the best at keeping our water clean that's why our water is hard because they chose all these chemical cleaners instead of actually maintaining the sites themselves so yeah our government uh, you see that They talk all this talk, but they don't actually put in the work to maintain and care for our community. uh, Granted, it's not all like there are individuals who are trying their best, but there's like 12 senators and only like two or three are fighting for actually taking care of the community. Then it's a little bit hard. But um, yeah, it's uh, (laughs) it's so it's so frustrating when we have small pockets of activists who are doing their best to, you know, address these issues and we don't have full government support, let, let alone community support. And then we hear, we hear back from people who are saying stuff like, and then like, like you mentioned earlier, there's only so much that we little pockets of activists can do. And if we want to protect our ourselves essentially our community and our natural resources this is where we need 
the community and the individuals to wake up and realize that these issues that we're talking about, while we're a little bit scattered, but we're touching on each of them, they affect all of us at the end of the day. Yeah, Yeah. like, you know, going back to our leaders, you know, thank God we have our Godzus, right? We have our our people in office who continue to fight um, for our natural resources, for our cultural resources. Um, But, you know, a lot of the time what we hear from some leaders, am I going to call her out? (laughs) Governor, (laughs) Governor Lou, I feel like to just say our political status is what hinders us from, from being able to make these important decisions for our island. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't just stop there and say that and then throw the white flag up and, you know, that's it. You know, we, you know, write your letter to the military. The military says no. Right. Like, like, like the governor, Mm -hmm. you know, she specifically wrote to the military, like just asking for one simple, one simple ask to stop construction around the Hudson Laga tree, the rare endangered tree at the firing range complex. And in response to that from the then ad, the then admiral, she basically said, sorry, no. See, that's a, that's uh, another thing too. Like you want to say that the military has our best interests in mind yet. Why can't they respect our rare tree and our highest ranking official? Exactly. <laughs> um, and, but that shouldn't stop her from, still being vocal like oh our political status okay if she really that's the cared end of about, meetings with activists you know yeah. it's our political status guys she really cared about the community and her children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren to be honest then she'd be doing more like fighting more like yeah. having more fire about these issues because uh, because in the long run this is going to affect them she it's could like, still be vocal if she went to the reporters if she went to our media and said, I'm not going to accept this, this answer. Yeah. Imagine, imagine like national news would pick that up. And Chris Barnett actually brought that up in one of his stories. Mm. Um, you know, that he was just saying like, we shouldn't just stop at, you know, we are powerless. We should stay unified mm-hmm. as people, as leaders in saying, you know, we don't support these human rights violations. Mm-hmm. And then see the national news pick that up. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, I do want to say that from what I've heard, Governor Lou does support decolonization efforts. So she does support the the um, Commission on Decolonization is what I've heard. Mm. Um, so just to be fair on that. But at the same time, I do think that she can be stronger yeah. in voicing her opposition to all of these things that are taking place. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a time where there are so many things happening. Even as as activists who are trying to stay on top of everything going on, right? Mm-hmm. It's still a lot for us to take in. Yeah. Um. And and like you mentioned, there's there's there are only so many activists, you know, mm-hmm. in the community and something that I always try to put out there is that we're all activists, you know, we're all activists in our own way, but it requires us to 
as indigenous people, it's our responsibility to be political, mm-hmm. to protect, to protect the sacred. That's what we should be doing. It's our responsibility. It's our sacred responsibility as people of this land mm-hmm. to care for this land, yeah. to care for our water. And, you know, a lot of the time, many activist groups, you know, they do get back criticism from the community. Well, why don't you support this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you care about this other place that's being desecrated? Mm -hmm. But, you know, there are only so many groups that can only cover so much. And so if a person in the community, if you're somebody who feels a calling, who feels this urge that something is not right and you don't see enough attention, mm-hmm. like, you know, as Clarissa mentioned, the military jet fuel line, for example, is something that, that um, was brought up in the past. If you look at old news articles, you know, it's not an uncommon thing. We actually experience jet fuel leaks I mean, over the years, we've had quite a few. Mm. I believe in the water resolution drafted by Senator Sabina. She wrote that there were like four in recent years. But there's so much going on that I think we all just don't see, or, or maybe the media doesn't really put that much attention on, on these these spills. But, you know, hey, that's an idea for a group. <laughs> you know, if you if somebody wants to take that upon themselves to like stay on top of the jet fuel leaks, yeah. Um, because, I mean, that's causing mass environmental damage. The one in 2018 that was like 100 gallons of jet fuel by a military contractor that contaminated 500 tons of soil, and that was actually brought out by an investigative journalist at KUAM, I can't remember the name who brought that information to light. But yeah, it was like the contract for that project was about $260 million or something. But the fine for the contractor was only like $100,000 or something. So it really was just a slap on the wrist. You know, these companies that have a lot of money, $100,000 is like $5 to them. And then there's just like no accountability. There wasn't really much that was done mm-hmm. to to bring justice to people who were affected by the spill. All of us, our whole island is affected by any sort of contamination. There are clusters of families, for example, in MTM. Mm-hmm. Just met with the mayor the other day who took me on a tour of the old Navy power plant in MTM. And there are clusters of families who has throat and nose cancer Mm. and many have passed on. And then where's the accountability for, for the families? Where's the justice for the families who all these years have just been gaslighted really mm-hmm. who have tried to come out and raise awareness and call attention to the injustice. And then a cleanup was done a few years ago, but recent tests of fish, fish tissue samples in the village are still showing levels of PCBs. If you go to Bank of Guam in Aganya and you 
stand next to the river at the, by the bridge there in the mm-hmm. Bank of Guam parking lot, you'll mm-hmm. see two signs there. You can't even really read the signs anymore. They're all rusted. I feel like they need there needs to be new signs. Mm-hmm. Hey, new group <laughs> that covers more contamination issues. Here's a project. But no, really, like, if you look at them, you can still kind of see it's, like, embossed. The, the like, a crab, a fish, mm-hmm. and something, a clam mm-hmm. in the, like, in a circle with a line strike through. Okay. So, you know, it says, you know, don't fish here. Mm-hmm. Don't eat any of the creatures in this area. But people still fish there. Yeah. People still eat the clams and the crabs from there so Mm. uh, it's because people need to feed their families you know so I feel like it's kind of like they're needing to keep that information like out of sight out of mind you know hey if the if the if they're living if they're alive or in the water right like they should be okay to eat but no like there are PCBs in that area and the military even though they did a cleanup they put signs down and they're like okay they wash their hands of you know, that contamination, they did their due diligence, they can move forward. So, so yeah, there needs, oh, oh, oh my gosh, no, there is a group, Mm. duh, the Manadahi Coalition, they, um, they are advocating for that area, (laughs) Guahanam, got to shout out Guahanam, um, I don't want to add more work to their plate, though, (laughs) they're already doing so much, but yeah, I'll definitely mention to them, um, but you know, yeah, yeah. The so so the Mandadahi Coalition that kind of segues me into into this uh, organization that Hita Latexan is part of. So this is a organization of ancestral caretakers, right? So these everybody in this organization in this coalition, they represent areas on island where they have ancestral ties. It's beautiful. Like it's a beautiful organization where people in their villages decided we want to take care of our spaces they're sacred to us and di- and they're doing that they're working with local officials and working with the community to do like trash cleanups to raise awareness about development the Manadahi coalition is looking for more caretakers so if you're somebody within your respective village who like knows an area that you you have ancestral ties to please like let me know mm-hmm. dm me i can connect you to to the folks involved in this organization ulakoa is one uh, activist who has been leading this organization don't know how to pronounce his last name but yeah so that would be that would be amazing definitely from this podcast take away that that if you're somebody who in who wants to be a caretaker of your ancestral village this is one avenue to do that so yeah shout out shout out to <laughs> guahana thank you guys thank you to the Manajahi coalition for everything you guys are doing yeah and you know for a lot of us like a lot of us activists i know some of us will will probably hear things from people where they're like Oh, you wanna you want us to reconnect to the land, but then you're shopping here, and then you have then you're like doing half and half. And the thing is, where we are currently in this timeline in this life, like it's inevitable, especially for us as uh, our generation, where like we have to do a little bit of both because of how we were set up 
and because of the way that the military has contaminated our, our our land so you know as much as we would like to connect back to our indigenous roots through fishing through uh, farming and all that stuff we do have to consider what you were just talking about like with the river where um, it's contaminated by the soil and so uh, it's kind of like we have to do a 50-50 or 40-60 or you know um, because of those issues and this is exactly why I'm always going to come back to this point where like it's important for us as individuals to connect to your community and protest and fight back against the military taking our natural resources and destroying them because then what are we left with we literally have um, contaminated land that makes us sick and we're not the ones who have done it you know the while yes there are pockets of people who um you know leave trash and all that stuff around and uh, litter and leave their junk that's a whole nother topic of trauma that isn't resolved uh, which uh, allows for neglect of self and then environment etc etc but essentially like the the military is destroying our land and its soil our water and those are all resources that we need to survive and for us to remain healthy and what are we being left with we're being left with resources that are contaminated for so many years forever the forever chemicals you know and what effect does that have on us currently and what effect will it have on the children that you have or the children that you'd like to have so while it may seem that these current issues aren't affecting you right now because maybe you're in your pocket you're in your home and you know your home is safe and all that but like once once there is a major leak into our water lines where is our drinking water? What are we going to shower in? It's it, it's very similar to what's happening in Hawaii now with Red Hill. What happens elsewhere in other communities with the military and the issues they're having is able to happen here. It's an example of what is to come. And Absolutely, so, yeah. There are so many communities who have compromised water sources that's their reality it's our worst nightmare and it should be a cautionary tale for us we should be sounding the alarm and there and many are you know i don't like to place people in like these like if you don't come out to the protest you don't care you know because the reality is we do live in a colony right everybody's trying to survive some people don't have the ability you know they don't have their basic needs met like they're just trying to put food on their tables and and survive you know mm -hmm. so you know, that's that's part of the reality, too. But if our water source is compromised, like Clarissa just said, we're all going to suffer. There's so many communities that are living that yeah. nightmare. And like, like, for example, Red Hill, I mean, that disaster is heartbreaking. It's it's just hard to really put into words the devastation that the Kanaka Maoli and, uh, you know, the community within the affected areas what they're going through just being lied to mm -hmm. gaslighted for this isn't just one spill it's been multiple spills over the course of a uh you know more than a decade mm -hmm. activists have been trying to raise awareness about the dangers of the uh, red hill fuel facility mm -hmm. for a very long time 
they were told, oh, no, everything's good. We need this for national security. We cannot shut this. We cannot shut the fuel tanks down because they're that important for the security of the nation. And then, you know, fast forward more than 10 years later, what they've been warning about for so long has come true. Mm -hmm. And I mean, thousands of people in the community were hospitalized by this tragedy, by neglect uh, on behalf of the Department of Defense. Um, They've been, the Department of Defense has been reassuring them that they're safe, that their water is safe. Um, It's just this theme of this lack of transparency. That's Mm -hmm. something that many communities can relate to Mm -hmm. where there is a military presence these these injustices they they affect the communities a lot of a lot of what happens is irreversible you know how do you how do you clean how do you restore an aquifer back to its original state Mm -hmm. i mean that's virtually impossible to to do that Mm -hmm. and i was able to visit kanaka maoli activists on the front lines just a few months ago they're doing amazing work they're they're having to to collect bottled water uh, and distribute it to the community in in these relief efforts and uh, for example Oahu water protectors there are a few organizations that are that are uh, responding to the Red Hill water crisis but Oahu water protectors is one that a couple of their members actually went to DC with the affected military families because a lot of it they're they're not only poisoning the community they're poisoning their own people right so like the military families are affected where their children are forming Mm. like lumps in their throats Mm -hmm. and pets have actually passed away from from the tragedy and yeah go ahead I i think like the thing to remember is that the U.S. government and the U.S. military is an entity in and of itself, and it doesn't really care about anyone or anything. And so this whole thing with, like, we need we need these bases, we need this, and we need that to protect you and to protect ourselves. Well, the thing is, if this entity weren't going around to other countries and causing shit and trouble with other people, then we wouldn't have these issues if there wasn't this whole game that all of these entities, these military entities are having with each other, then we wouldn't have these needs for these bases and, and for jet fuel lines and all that stuff. Like if humanity in and of itself respected each other and our environment, then we wouldn't have these issues in the first place. But of course, like <laughs> we're thrown into this cycle because all of the past and all of these people taking over and all that stuff and blah blah blah, blah. but but it's a lot it's there's so many layers to all of this yeah but essentially we don't need these things like the military military saying that they need our spaces for their practice and for holding their fuel and for holding their bullets and practicing and all that stuff like if if we all got on the same page of respecting each other as a human race and respecting our environment, then none of this would be a thing. But getting back to the, the main point of this is that we we need everyone in on this. Like a small activist groups, like our voice is literally very small, like a little whisper when we don't have the community involved. And so we are here today talking about these things because we want to encourage you the listener to take part in 
defending and protecting our natural resources in whatever way, shape, or form that you can. And and to remember that these things have an effect on you, whether you see it right now or not. You do what you can with whatever capacity you have. You know, I can't attend all protests, but I do my best to make the ones that I am able to. What I can do is I send the emails when I see the call out. I sign the petitions when I see the call out. But it's super important that you as an individual come together and join us in this fight because on this very small island, once one resource is out, then that's a major thing for all of us. So is there anything else you want to add before we close this out? No, I think you covered that well. I guess that's really the goal, right? Yeah. Like try to encourage people to come out and like realize that it's our responsibility it's our sacred responsibility as the people of this land to Mm -hmm. protect it yeah and not only people of this land like we humans we were placed here to take care of the environment and the animals and it would give back to us and so yeah we've forgotten that because of how society and governments have brainwashed us but you know it's never too late to go back to it or at least to evolve where it's a balanced give and take you know so yeah um well we're going to leave you with that please 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 make it a point to be more proactive i hope that you'll recognize just how much these issues will have an effect on all of us and we have a better chance at protecting ourselves and our environments when we come together and make our small voice a large one so thank you maria for being here (laughs) thank you for thank you for your information and your shared thoughts and thank you to the listeners who have stayed with us the whole way Um, please share this with whomever you know or feel will resonate with it because the more that we get in on this boat then the better chances that we have as a community All right, y'all. See you, Smasi, and until the next time. Adios.